Welcome, Valley family. This is uh, week number two in our series that we're calling Chase the Line, uh, based on the book by uh, Mark Batterson. I encourage you to give this a read this summer. It'd be a great uh, uh, one to go through during a little... uh, pool time or beach time or something like that. Uh, his, uh, his whole, I guess you'd say, uh, approach really is based on a passage of Scripture we started out with last week uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 23. We'll get there in just a minute. Um, but before we do, let me ask a question. How many of you love surprises? Do you love surprises? Okay, one. All right, that's great. That's great. What's wrong with you? Uh, I can't stand surprises. Surprises give me anxiety. They really do. In fact, the staff knows that. Uh, if there's anything that's like out of the ordinary going in, going on before I get in the office, uh, they'll, they'll text me and tell, listen, just want to let you know uh, this is happening or something. I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay, thank you. Uh, and, and I just need a little bit of time. I, I don't like surprise parties, anything like that. I just don't like surprises. Not that I have to feel like I'm in control, but uh, what I, I'm, a, I'm a real scaredy cat. Is what I'm a very jumpy person, you know, so, so anything kind of like out of the ordinary, just kind of, for a minute, I kind of, it takes my breath away. Um, And what we're going to look at during our time together in this second message in this series, uh, I'm going to be preaching hard at myself, if you'll allow me to do that, Uh, because in this second message, I want to talk about embracing uncertainty, embracing uncertainty, which which really is like the surprises of life, because the reality is you and I are going to face some. There's some things that are just completely out of our control. We're going to be surprised from time to time. That's why I don't like it when people plan surprise to surprise me. You know, like things are going to happen enough. And, and just, I guess, being a pastor, I could put it this way, I get enough surprises just being a pastor, being on call, phone ringing, you know, things like that. Uh, I don't need someone to, you know, uh, surprise me at my birthday. I knew it was my birthday. Uh, so uh, anyway, let's start off again. Second Samuel uh, chapter 23, incredible man here, and I gave a lot more of the backstory last week, but I want to look at it again. 2 Samuel chapter 23, beginning in verse 20. There it is. That's kind of hard to read. I don't even know that. There it is. All right. Uh, Beginning in verse 20, it says, there was also Benaiah. Benaiah is one of David's mighty men, just an incredible warrior. He's an elite warrior uh, in Israel. There was also Benaiah's son of Jehoda, a valiant warrior from Kabzil. <clears throat> he did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Now, just think about that for just a minute. He chased a lion. He went after the lion. I, I don't know about you, but if I hear a lion roar... My natural reflex and response is not to, oh, I'm going to run after that lion. I hear a lion roar, and he's not behind a cage at the Bronx Zoo. I am out of there. I am running so fast you're never going to be able to catch me. But, but what, what, what did uh, Benaiah do? On a snowy day, what does that mean? Slippery? You know, there's so many people, uh, just a forecast of snow, they won't even leave their homes, even here in New York. And they're like, it may actually flurry, can't leave my house. On a snowy day, he chased the lion down into a pit. And as I talked about last week, you you know, we can read the rest of the story and we find out what happens. But he didn't know what was going to happen. It was a surprise to him. And so he goes down on a snowy day into a pit. No escape. And he kills a lion. So that's really what the whole premise is of this book is chase the lion. 
is that lions, there's going to be things in your life and my life that are going to roar and try to, to try to cause us to be afraid and back down and back off of God's plan and purpose for our lives. But God wants you and I to be lion chasers. That when we hear the roar, instead of running from the roar, we run to the roar. And we chase the lions. And so that's exactly what Benaiah did. It also goes on and says in verse 23, he was more honored than all the other members of the 30. That was kind of like an elite group in David's army. Uh, Though he was not one of the three, David had like three super ninja warriors, uh, and Benaiah was not one of those. And David made him the captain uh, of his body, uh, captain of his bodyguard. In other words, he was the head of the secret service. And Benaiah did such a great job of it. David died of natural causes, and in fact, Benaiah was the one who was responsible really for Solomon becoming the next king because he took care of Solomon's uh, uh, what would you say opponents. He just killed them. And so Solomon was the one that David wanted to be king, and Benaiah made sure that was going to happen. And so Benaiah is an incredible man. He's an incredible man of faith. He's an incredible warrior uh, for the plan and the purposes of God. And there's a lot that we can learn from it. So this is a four-part series uh, that we're in. Now talking about embracing uncertainty, you know, this encounter that Benaiah had uh, with this lion on a snowy day, I don't think this was on his calendar. I, I don't think he was like, wake up this morning, kill a lion, okay, and lunch, and then that, that wasn't the case at all. I don't think, you know, we don't have the backstory, but I don't think he went out hunting a lion either. I think the lion just appeared. And Benaiah went after him. And sometimes these things are in your life and my life, they're just going to appear. We wake up in the morning or, or, you know, the weekend's coming, everyone's working for the weekend, and we're like, we're going to do this next weekend, or vacation's coming, we're going we're to do this, we're going to do that. But all of a sudden you wake up one day and boom, there's a lion in front of you. Wasn't planning on that. Opened up in just a flash like that. Benaiah sees the opportunity. And because he sees the opportunity... About 4,000 years later, we're talking about him. There's some opportunities that are going to pop up, and you can't plan on them. You can't anticipate them. You've just got to be ready to seize the opportunity, just like Benaiah did. All kinds of variables in life, but one thing that you and I can be absolutely certain of is uncertainty. We have to learn how to embrace that uncertainty, and even embrace surprises. Not surprise parties, but surprises. You know, I, I, love, I, I love movies, don't you, where I can't figure out how it's going to end. In, in fact, a lot of times, Susie, especially those Hallmark movies, I just destroy her when it comes to those things. If I do sit down to watch those, because literally, within, before the first commercial break, I'll tell you, that one's going to fall for that one. He's going to get kicked out. You know, it's just like, you can just know what's going to happen. Why waste 90 minutes watching that thing? I can tell you in 15. In fact, recently we went to, uh, I was really excited and wanted to go see the, uh, the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And one of the reasons I like that, because I, I grew up like thinking I was a pirate. That's a whole other story. Uh, but, uh, but, but I can't figure them out. And because I can't figure out how it's going to end, it's intriguing to me. And I love that. I love watching those kind of movies. I don't like living life like that. I just don't know what's going to come next. I don't think any of us do. When it's just like, oh my goodness, 
How is this going to end? What's this going to look like tomorrow or the next week or the next month? But the reality is we like movies like that, but we don't like life like that. And so we have to learn how to embrace uncertainty. If you have your Valley app, I want to invite you to go ahead and open that up because uh, we're going to look at some some things about uncertainty during our time together uh, today. And and I think you're probably going to want to look at these and look back on these when, boom, all of a sudden something surprises you in life. Okay, how is it I'm supposed to handle that? How does God want me? To handle that, what perspective should I have? Here's the first thing that's important for us to know. Uncertainty is more common following Jesus. Did you realize that? That as a Christ follower, you're guaranteed more uncertainty in your life, not less. There's going to be more stuff that happens like, what? One plan on that. Jesus dealt with an incredible amount of uncertainty in his life. You and I are going to be faced, as we follow in his footsteps, that's what a Christ follower is, following Christ. We're going to face a greater measure of uncertainty, perhaps in someone who, who, who doesn't follow Christ. When it comes to uncertainty, there's two different kinds of uncertainty that I want to look at. And, and, and the first one, kind of real quick, and then the, the majority of our time together, I want to look at the second one and really unpack it. But the, the first kind of uncertainty is, is what I call spiritual uncertainty. Spiritual uncertainty. There's some things, spiritually speaking, that we can be very certain of, that, that we don't have to wonder about, we don't have to uh, wrestle over. Like, for instance, we can be certain that if we receive Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. We are forgiven. Jesus paid the price for your sins and my sins on the cross. We can be certain of that. We don't owe him for something we did back in 1994. He's forgiven us. We don't owe him for something we may screw up tomorrow. He's forgiven us. We need, we need to come clean. God, forgive me that I didn't mean to do that. But we don't have to pay the price for it. We can be certain of that. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he was talking about the price for your sin and mine was paid for completely. We can be certain of that. We we can also be certain that, that if we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we will spend eternity in heaven. We can be absolutely take it to the bank certain about that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. But if you come by me, the inference is you'll be with the Father. We can be certain of salvation. We don't have to wonder about that. When we listen and we respond to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection for you and for me, we can be certain of all the promises that that God has made uh, in the Bible are, are for us. When we put our lives in his hands, this, this book, the Bible, is a book of promises. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands, almost, I think, 7,000 promises I mentioned before in the Bible for those that, that love God. They're for you. They're for me. If we love God and Jesus is our Savior, those are for us. Not just in the, the sweet by and by, but even in the right here and now. We can be certain of that. As I like to say, as you study the promises of God, and there are whole books that are written about the promises of God. Every promise has a premise. Every promise has a premise. God says, if you do this, I'm going to do this. Promise. If you do this, I'm going to do this. If you confess your sins, the Bible says, if he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess our sins, forgiven, done. It's finished. 
That's a promise. And so the promises of God are for us, and we can be very certain of that. We can also be certain that God wants to transform our lives by the Holy Spirit so that you and I become more and more like Jesus Christ. That, that, that I like to say it this way to my wife, you know, uh, who I am today is not the man I'm going to be. You think I'm something now, baby. You just wait. Give me a little bit more time, you know. Because God's working inside of me, and she'll tell you, man, I, I'm not that kid she married. Do I hear an amen? There you go, amen, right there, yeah. I'm not that 22-year-old guy that she married. Because God's working in my life, and God's changing me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm coming up on Greg 5.0, if you understand what I mean. Let he who has an ear, let him hear. But anyway, uh, these are things that we can be certain of. Spiritual uncertainty, but these are things we can be certain of. We don't have to have spiritual uncertainty. But here's the thing, and there is real spiritual uncertainty. Faith in Jesus Christ does not completely eradicate spiritual uncertainty. There's still going to be some times when, when we have some crisis of faith. There's still going to be some times when we're like, God, what are you doing? God, I don't understand. But, but there are some things that we can be ironclad certain of, like I just mentioned. God's forgiveness. That we'll be with him in eternity. That the promises that are recorded for us in the scripture are for us as we receive Jesus Christ and he's our savior. And that God wants to transform our lives. That, that's, I'm, I'm certain of that. But there are also times when we do ask those questions, God, Why? God, this is hard. I don't understand. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, pretty interesting. It says, uh, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. There's some stuff you and I are never going to know in this life. He's got some secrets. It's just he keeps to himself. The Lord our God has some secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we are, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms uh, of these instructions. We're not responsible for his secrets, but we are responsible for this. For everything he's revealed to us in his word, we're responsible for those things. But, but there's some stuff that we're just never going to understand this side of heaven. God, God knows some stuff that... If he told you and he told me, it's like our heads would just psh, just explode. We can't contain it. And he does that for our own good because he's like God. <laughs> and he knows everything. And so there is some spiritual uncertainty. But I think the thing that trips us up the most is the most difficult. And I just think about it when I think about Benaiah going into that pit on a snowy day chasing after a lion. It's not so much spiritual uncertainties I think we struggle with. I think it's the second kind of uncertainty, and that's circumstantial uncertainties. Circumstances that come up in life. The surprises. The, I was just going out for a walk, and there's a lion, and I need to do something about it. God will call you and I to go places and to do things where we are totally and completely relying on him. And that's what Benai was doing that day. 
You see, faith is like a muscle, and if we don't use our faith, our muscles will atrophy. It's so important. How do do your muscles get bigger when you you go to the gym or something like that? You've got to put stress and pressure on them with weight. That's how your muscles get bigger. Faith is like that. It's like a muscle. If you don't use it, if you don't go to the gym, guess what? It's not going to always be as strong and tight. It's going to get flabby and weak. Same thing with faith. And so circumstances come into your life circumstances come into my life and God's saying I want you to trust me I want you to believe in me you need to rely on me put your faith in me because I want to give your faith a workout Greg circumstantial uncertainty God will allow circumstantial uncertainty in your life and my life from time to time for the main reason of strengthening our faith and our trust in him. Think about it. What kind of training did Benaiah have to kill a lion? What kind of training? You know, did he go to like lion college or something like that? Uh, you know, did he learn these skills and all these things? He didn't have a chance when that lion showed up that day and roared. He had to do something about it. It wasn't the time to pull out some sort of manual and say, first, you know, uh, sharpen your spear. You know, it, it wasn't time for that. It was the moment that he was looking at. It was a circumstantial uncertainty. What did Benaiah do? Instead of running, he put his faith in God and he ran toward the roar and ran toward the lion. See, I think the truth, if if we're really honest, if the truth be told, some of us are a little bored with our faith. We're a little bored with our faith in Christ. Some of us are suffering from what I I call faith fatigue. Faith fatigue. Our our faith is just kind of tired. Our faith is weak. We have like really good potato couch uh, faith. Couch potato, rather. Couch potato faith. We placed our faith in Jesus Christ... And then since then, we've made hundreds, even thousands of safe, secure decisions to keep us in our comfort zone and to cling to, cling to our security. And we wonder why our faith isn't strong when we face uncertain circumstances. Our faith begins to shrink because we settled for security instead of chasing the lions in our life. The fact about the matter is all progress takes place outside the comfort zone. All progress. All, 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 all spiritual progress takes place when we get outside of what is comfort and familiar to us and safe. That's where the real progress, that's where real spiritual growth happens. God wants us to face our uncertainty and embrace our uncertainty. And so here we are, right? It's the beginning of June, and, and there's something about it. All of a sudden, 
temperature kind of start. There was this thing yesterday and today, like a ball of fire in the sky. I didn't know what that was. I was like, what is the meaning of that? It was the sun, and I haven't seen it for so many months, you know? And it's like things are kind of changing. You can kind of feel it in the air, and, and, and school's winding down for the kids. Colleges are graduated, you know, and, and, and it's just kind of a different feel. Let me just give you just some real practical things to exercise your faith, to let your faith be strengthened. Over the summer, some, some real practical things that, that you can do to give your faith kind of a, a, a workout. I'll call them faith-stretching steps. Since we're in June, you can just practice these over the summer. What about relational faith? What about your friendships and relationships? What, what would the summer look like when Labor Day rolls around and, and summer's over? What would it look like if you, this summer, decided, I'm going to invest and I'm going to cultivate some new friendships? There's just something about it. Just, it, it gives you a little more pep in the step. It gives you a different perspective when, when you intentionally and deliberately begin to invest in some new people. Relational faith. What about financial faith? What would it look like if this summer you decide, I'm going to have a, a strategic plan for my finances? A way that I want to, I want to become more generous. But what would the end of the summer look like? If you decided instead of just trying to, to piece it all together, no, I'm, I'm going to have a strategy of how I can financially exercise my faith. So Susie and I actually, we're doing this ourselves. We just, uh, a couple weeks ago, our uh, friend, professor, a former professor from uh, Bible College was here, uh, Buford Lipscomb, who, who's the uh, international director of Adopt a Child. We, we decided we're going to start sponsoring a third child just to exercise our faith and our generosity. Because you know what? We, the Bible makes it clear to grow in the grace of giving. What's your strategy there that your faith would grow? So when there are times of abundance, there are times of lack, the, time, the way you get through the time of lack is you know how God has come through before because you put your faith in him because it's his finances, not mine. What, what about missionally? How about investing in your neighbors this summer? Just, just an idea. What would happen if you had like a backyard barbecue? And instead of inviting everyone that you know really well, you just invited like your neighbors on, on either side and said, come on back. Make a feast for them. Just get to know them a little bit. Being real intentional. Hear, their story, hear what they're all about if you don't know them real well. Backyard barbecue missionally, on the mission of God, and then invite them to church. Maybe they don't know you real well. Make a feast for them, grill them up, steak and chicken and ribs and all that stuff. Right before you sit down to eat, say, hold on just a second. Let's just bless the food. And they'll be like, okay. <laughs> and don't go into a whole bunch of theology. I, I, I'm, I'm not a big, like, long-winded meal blessing prayer person i'm like let's, let's get through this and get it eat it while it's hot you know but just take them let's just pray for a minute most people are like okay <laughs> father thank you for this food bless it to our bodies bless the hands that made it thank you for this time that we have to share together amen dig in but just like that they just see a little different side of you perhaps just on mission to impact people's lives in your neighborhood. Exercising your faith to grow 
What about evangelistically? Exercising your faith, sharing your faith with a friend. I, I know you've probably heard me say this before, but I found it so true that, that people who struggle with their faith, nine times out of ten, I, I'll ask them, I'll say, listen, when's the last time you shared your faith with someone? Ever. Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. He, he says, share the good news. He goes, and I'm with you always. It, it's amazing. When you, when you take the time to share your faith with someone, it's like all of a sudden you feel like, I like to put it this way, it's like Jesus stands up on the inside. It's like all of a sudden it just gets stronger. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? What Jesus means to you. I'm not talking about giving them a sermon. I'm talking about telling your story. What Jesus means to you. And that you care about them enough that you'd love for Jesus to mean that much to them as well. It just, it, it just exercises your faith muscle. It strengthens your muscles. What about occupationally exercising your faith? Maybe, just maybe. It's time to stop that dead-end job, quit it, and instead pursue the passion that God's placed in your life. Because someday is no day on a calendar. It doesn't exist. Someday I'm going to, someday I'm going to do it today. Strengthen your faith. See, when we stay inside of our comfort zone, our faith begins to fizzle and fade. And I'm afraid that for many of us, if we keep going down the path, the direction we're going, week from now, month from now, year from now, just fizzled because we never worked out our faith. We never did anything to make our faith grow, to, to, to strengthen our faith. Listen, let me tell you a little bit about your pastor if you didn't know much about me. I am a creature of comfort. I love comfort. Listen, y'all, I've been driving to the same spot for 27 years. 1072 Route 82. 27 years. And if God wills, I'll probably do it for another 15 or so. In fact, I've been known to eat the same sandwich for lunch for years at a time. Years and years at a time. Breakfast, I've had the same breakfast for probably going on five years. Every day. Oh, every now and then I'll kind of change it up and do something crazy like cereal, uh, you know, or something like that. Just go crazy. And, and, and whenever I do that, and like the kids come downstairs like, Dad, you feeling okay? I am a creature of habit. I love comfort. I love my safety. That being said, I realize if I get safe and comfortable with my faith, I'm beginning to slide in the wrong direction away from God. Look at what Jesus said about his own life. Luke chapter 9, verse 58 said, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Did you realize Jesus never knew where he was going to sleep that night? He had no idea. He didn't have a home to go back to. He said, 
Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man is speaking to himself, speaking of himself, has no place to lay his head, and they didn't have hotel chains back then. He was so far out on the edge of uncertainty all the time, and we're supposed to be his followers. Now, that doesn't mean go sell your house and live on the street. I don't think that's what he meant. But, but Jesus, think about it for a minute. Jesus grew up the son of a carpenter. He should have taken over the family business. He was the oldest, but he embraced uncertainty. Why? To fulfill God's plan and purpose for his life. For you and for me. The reason why you and I are here today is because Jesus embraced uncertainty. Because Jesus said, not my will, Father, yours be done. That's the adventure of following Jesus. That's why I say, as a follower of Christ, you and I are going to have probably even more uncertainty in our lives. And that's why we have to learn to embrace the uncertain. When you follow Jesus Christ, you never know how it's going to end up. You never know where he's going to take you. He may actually take you to Eastern Europe, like he's taking Susie and I. And I just had like heel marks for 18 years, as I've said before. Just said, I'm never leaving this country. Then after we went the first time in 2008, and it was interesting, I, I preached this series based on Mark Batterson's book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, right up until I got up to, on the plane. <laughs> I was so full of fear. We made so many friends and so many churches, pastors, and just there's, there's so many people that we love in Eastern Europe today. And I had to face that lion of fear that I can never leave the continental United States. I just won't be saved. In fact, it was pretty funny. I, I had three different fears specifically about leaving the United States. And on that first trip, I had to face all three of them. First one was uh, being falsely accused of a crime. <laughs> that happened at Heathrow Airport on the way over. <laughs> Security stopped us. And, and they're, they're like, we're about to, we're trying to get on our plane. Security stopped us. And they're like going through the bags and all this fuss. And, and, uh, and, and Michaela, our youngest, our oldest rather, she was, she was relatively young, I think 12 years old or so at the time. And uh, she had packed a pair of scissors in her, in, her, uh, uh, in her little backpack there, a little Barbie backpack, pair of scissors. And they're like, there's a sharp object in there. And like, I was like, there is not a sharp object in there. There is not one in there. And they're like, there's something in there. And I'm like, no, there's nothing. And I took off running. And I left Susie there because she was going to go to the prison, not me. And finally, they found uh, the pair of scissors, and they just confiscated those things. And I was like, whoo, fear number one. It was kind of cool because it timed up. Because as I'm running to catch the plane, and I leave the, you know, my wife and kids behind me, uh, I actually saw uh, Keith uh, Sutherland, uh, Jack Bauer. And Jack Bauer spoke to me because he saw me. I was panicked and all. And Jack Bauer's walking like this. I'm not kidding. You can't make this up. And he looked at me, and he goes, hi, how are you? And I was like, I'm doing really good. My, kid, my family's back there. Shh. And I just kept running to the gate. Second, second fear that I had, that I had to face, was being lost. Being lost in, in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language. That happened too. We went to, to, to shop on Andrewski Square. It's this big, huge open market that goes on for about 10, 15 blocks. And I'm just walking around and, and, and the family there and all. And it's just great. And I'm like, okay. And the little Matryoshka dolls and all this stuff. And I turn around and they're gone. 
and I had no idea where they were. And I didn't, I don't speak Ukrainian at all. And I'm just like, I, I feel like Bobby and Cindy and, you know, that Grand Canyon, Brady Bunch, you know, that when they're just wandering around, don't know what to do, and they got the baked beans in the flashlight, but that's another story. But anyway, and, and, and it literally is probably an hour that I was separated from them. And I'm just trying to get this strategy, like, could I even find our way back to where we're staying? I don't think we could or anything. But thankfully, I was wearing a red baseball cap that day, so this didn't get burnt in the sun. And that's what made me st stand out in the crowd enough that one of my girls spotted me. Like, there's Daddy. And they're like, you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I was panicked. It seemed like 24 hours. The third fear that I had, the third fear that I had was... was uh, that I'd be wrongly imprisoned. And I faced that the last day. Going through the shopping mall, floor after floor, walk up the steps, and as soon as I'd walk into the area, the alarm in the department store would go off. This happened five flights of stairs. Ding, 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 ding. Finally, a security guard, one of them, he comes out and he says something in Russian. He points at me. The translator hadn't made it up yet, and I'm like, what? Motion to another security guard to come stand next to me. I'm going like, this is it. I'm going to the gulag. This is going down. I'm like, I need thee every hour, especially this hour right now. Other security guy, he walks off, storms off, and he comes back, and he comes in, and he, he sticks his hand behind my back. And I'm like, I beg your pardon. I'm a United States citizen. And he pulled my jacket, and there was a tag in my jacket. And he had a pair of scissors, and he cut it off. He's like, Go. And it was a t I'd had the jacket for like 12 years, all over, but, but for some reason it set off the alarms there, and I was like, that's it. I'm never going to see my family again. Had to face those fears, and I'm so glad that I did. It was life-changing. I can't wait to go back again. They want us to come back all the time, twice a year. We just can't do it. Got to face your fears. Following Jesus Christ is supposed to be a great adventure. Highway to the danger zone gonna take a ride that's what it's supposed to be see there's also this thing Jesus talked a lot about and that is in order to really follow after Jesus we have to sacrifice certainty we gotta give up our stronghold our, our grip on certainty Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Jesus is speaking here, and he, sa he said to another man, follow me. But he, the man, replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. He's like, my father died. i got to go to his funeral. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Oh, this is the stuff we don't like to read that Jesus said because it's so, it's so confronting, it's so challenging to us. Jesus is like, come follow me. He's like, I just got to go bury my father. And he's like, you got a window of opportunity, and it's gone. He goes on and says, he said to another man, follow me. Can uh, we go to the next one there? Still another. He said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow. 
He, he said, if your family's more important to you than I am, you're not fit to follow. Gulp. Greg didn't say that. Jesus said that. What does a family represent? Certainty. Comfort. Stability. Safety. And Jesus says, if that's what you're clinging to, you'll never fulfill the purpose God created you for. It just won't happen. And, and you know, if, if this is the only time that Jesus ever talked this way, maybe we could just dismiss it, but it's not. He talked like this a lot. He talked about sacrifice and certainty. In fact, look at it. That's Luke 9. Look at Luke chapter 14. Jesus puts it this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Wow. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This word hate is pretty interesting. I had him highlight it for you because I wanted to explain it. In the original language of the New Testament, that word in Greek for hate, you know what that actually means? Hate means the same thing in English. Same exact thing. Jesus is saying, like, if, if anyone comes before me in your life, he's saying in essence, your love for me must be so strong that your feelings for anyone else, it looks like the distance between love and hate. That's what he's calling you to. That's what he's calling me to. If, if anyone or anything, we're going to see in just a minute, anything also is, 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 is giving our security, giving us a sense of security, Jesus says, you got to leave that behind. Or, or you can't follow me. You'll never be my disciple. Can you imagine this for just a minute, you know, going home for spring break? <laughs> Your family's like, yeah, you still doing that Jesus thing? How's that working out for you? Because you left them all behind. See, the defining moments in our lives come from the moments of uncertainty, not security. Those are the defining moments. It, it, it doesn't come from security. The defining moments come from uncertainty. Let me just look at this with the last few minutes that we have together. What I believe is the saddest story in all the Bible, and it has to do with this issue of someone clinging to certainty and security rather than embracing the adventure of following after Jesus. Some of you may know the story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. It says that a rich young ruler one time came to Jesus and asked him this question, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question, and it explains in the whole thing. I'll tell the story so it's a little quicker. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It says that he was incredibly rich, and yet isn't it interesting? He was incredibly unfulfilled. Money never makes up for spiritual or relational poverty. Something was still missing from this man's life. The Bible says he was rich and he was young, had it all going for him, but he's still struggling. 
Jesus answered him in verse 20, 21. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Don't miss that. Jesus said, before you follow me, you got to give up your security. Give it up. He's not saying money's bad, but it was bad for this guy because it was his sense of security. It was his identity. And he says, sell it all. And then Jesus, this is the same invitation he gave to the 12 disciples. Come follow me. Come follow me. Just, just think about that. You've got that invitation right before you. Jesus is saying, give up your security. Come follow me. What would you do? But when the young man heard this, he went away sad. For he had many possessions. He couldn't leave the safety and security of the stuff that he had. This is not this, this, this story here about the rich young ruler. It's not a story about greed. It's a lesson about clinging to security and certainty and comfort. It's a story about staying cozy and safe and missing God's best for your life and God's best for my life. The disciples, then they're standing there and they're like, wow. <laughs> then one of them actually speaks up. He says, Jesus, what about us? Well, what about us? We've, we, we left everything. We left our family. We left our businesses. We, we left everything and everyone to be with you, to follow you. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 29 of Matthew 19. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. That rich young ruler completely missed it. He, he thought he was going to give up so much to follow Jesus, and Jesus knew if you follow me a hundred times over, you'll receive in return. And you'll get eternal life as well. Then in verse 30, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Jesus says, your heavenly father, he's a good accountant. Anything you give up in order to follow Christ, to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life, God sees it and he'll multiply it back to you. You really don't give up. But it's always a test of our security, of our safety, of our comfort. And do you know what's the saddest thing about this story to me? The story of the rich young ruler? We don't even know his name. If he decided to follow Jesus that day, we'd be talking about him by name. Just like Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thomas. We don't even know his name. 
and he's never heard from again. I don't want to live like that. <laughs> I don't want to live like that. I trust you don't want to live like that either. I, I want to embrace the uncertainty that, that, that comes in my life. I, I want to double down in my faith and, and trust in God no matter what. Knowing that he's going to see us through on the other side. kind of reminds me of uh, that line in the movie Braveheart where William Wallace puts it this way all men die but few men really live all men die but few men really live I want to really live I want to live the life that God's purposed me to live. When all is said and done, I want everything to have been said and done that God had planned for me. And I want to challenge you with that as well. What certainties do you need to sacrifice and leave behind today? What, what step do you need to take in response to this message? begin to flex the muscle of your faith you know don't, don't, don't go be put, putting 500 pounds on the bar maybe just a 25 pound dumbbell a first step so that your faith gets a little bit stronger then a little bit more then a little bit more and then a little bit more because here's one thing we can be sure of in this life there are going to be some surprises we need to be spiritually fit and our faith strong for when they come. Just like Benaiah was that day. That snowy day when a lion appeared. And he was ready to face the lion. And instead of running from the roar, he ran to the roar. He embraced uncertainty. And that's why we know his name today tremendous amount of faith I'm going to ask would you bow your heads with me right now let's pray Heavenly Father Lord we thank you for the accounts that have been recorded for us in scripture to challenge our faith and, and, and really invite us to step out of our comfort zones to really embrace uncertainty and, and become the men and women of faith that you designed and created us to be, that, that our faith would grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And Father, that's what we're praying. That's what we're asking today. Lord, that we would embrace uncertainty and we all face it in different ways, shape, and form, some greater right now for some than for others. But Lord, may we be spiritually fit and our faith stronger tomorrow than it is today help us Father Lord whatever we place our, or whoever we place our security and our safety in Lord that we'd be willing to put you first so much so that there's just a you, our love for you outdistances our love for anyone or anything else just as Jesus said it needs to
Thank you, Father, that you demonstrated what courageous life looks like. We saw it in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, through his life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. May we, as your children, follow in his footsteps every day to speak those words, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Thank you, Father. Right now in this moment of contemplation with our eyes closed and and our heads bowed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never placed your faith, your life, your trust in Jesus Christ before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible makes it clear that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And so if you've never placed your life in the hands of Jesus and trusted him and received him as your Savior and Lord, I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now that you can repeat after me. And you can have that spiritual certainty to know that your sins are forgiven, that you will be with God for all eternity in heaven, that that God wants to work in your life to transform your life by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. If you've never prayed that prayer before, I invite you to just pray after me now, saying, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, that he took my place. He paid the price for my sins on the cross, and he rose again. And I invite Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I trust you with my life direct my steps and I'll follow your guidance and your direction in Jesus name Amen Amen